they can go out. I wanted to start today to talk to you about the letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. I want you to understand that once we go to the book of Revelation, that there's a threefold application. Not only the book of Revelation, but to the whole Bible, there's a threefold application. So there was a local application. So that means that when the Bible was written, Paul was walking around, he was actually visiting churches, he was establishing churches, Peter was preaching. There were churches like this church back in the day there. And this is why there's a local application to the word. Uh, we find this in history. But then there was also a prophetic application of the word. If you go to the letters that we're going to discuss in the next few weeks, there is a local application. These churches belonged, they were there. But there's also a prophetic application. It is things that still going to happen. And it's things that happen to those churches. If he spoke to those churches there and he said to them, there's something that's going to happen to you, this happened to those churches and it's evident that it happened to those churches. But then there is also a personal application. Now the personal application is, is what is God saying to you and to me? So if you open up the Bible, never open it up and say, what is this saying to my, to my wife? What is this saying to my children? I know we want to do that. But the biggest thing here is the application needs to be, first of all, to me. But this is the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, that which I received, I give unto you. So he first of all had to receive something before he can give it. Once that happens, it becomes yours. And it fills you up. And then what will happen? It will fill others up as well. Now it is this example. If I take a cup and a saucer and I put it on the table here, and it's empty the cup, and I take a pitcher of water, and I start filling it up, the first place that's going to capture the water is the cup. And I keep on filling it up, and I keep on filling it up. What will eventually happen? Peter, it's right that it will overflow, isn't it? If I keep on putting it in. So if it overflows, where is it going to go into? It's going into the saucer. And then I keep on putting it in and putting it in and putting it in. Where is it going to go? It's going to spill over onto the table. And I keep on putting water in and it's going to run through the cup into the saucer onto the table and eventually it's going to drip onto the floor. You've had that situation in your house, didn't you? Hey, Robin, you go, why did you mess? And it's all over the place and you had to go and you had to clean it all up. And this is, this is the picture I want to give you. That we need to be like that cup. Here's my cup, Lord. Fill it up. Do you know that song? Here's my cup, fill it up. Why? So that it can fill me up. And as I overflows into the saucer, what is the saucer? The saucer is my family around me. It's my wife, it's my children. And once they overflow, other people will say, what's it with your family? You are such a godly family. All these things. And you know what happens? Your family overflows to your friends. That's the table. And your workplace, that's the table. And it eventually drips onto the floor. 
and that's the world. And, and I've got a scripture for that. You know, when Jesus said, you will receive power to be my, to be my what? My witnesses. That's the word martyr there. And in what? In Jerusalem, Judea, which is the area and the rest of the world. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to compare the seven churches of the book of Revelation with the seven parables in Matthew chapter 13, the kingdom parables. Today, I want to first talk to you about the mystery of the church. I want to lay a foundation today. And the foundation is about church. And I want to say, brother and sister, I find it an absolute privilege to be part of the church of God. Do you? I mean, coming here this morning and, and coming together with the children of God, it is an absolute privilege. It's not a right. You and I did nothing to deserve where we sit today. It is by grace that I'm standing in front of you. The Spirit of God is reaching out to every soul in the world. He reached out to me when I was a young man. And it's by grace of God that He, he grabbed a hold of me. And He gave me a good shaking. And then I realized, and I had to come and repent of my sin before Him. Let it be known that you cannot become part of the body of Christ without, without confessing your sin. You have to come to the cross and say, Father, I've sinned against you and I ask you to forgive me of my sins. And then the Bible says, once that happens, what happens through the Holy Spirit? He, he puts you into the body of Christ. You were baptized into the body of Christ. And here is a wonderful thing about it. And then he says he seals you there. So, you know, I look at the world today and I look at how people come into church and I look at what people say about church. And for a lot of people, church has got a different meaning than for me. A different meaning. Some people are going to church to make money. We know them, don't we? Some people go into church just to be a little bit of a status, you know. Here you are and you've got so big. No, that's nothing. Some people use church for political reasons. And we, we're going to see that. Let me just warn you. You're going to see this playing out more and more as the day approaches. As we come closer to the end of time, the church is going to move closer closer and closer to politics. It's already embedded in that, and it's going to go move closer to the state. It is written in your Bible. It's in the book of Revelation. Open it up and read it. You and I have got no excuse. We can't, we can't blame ignorance. If you've listened to sermons after, say, how many sermons did you listen to, by the way, in your lifetime? Is it 10, 100, 200, 1,000? All of those sermons means nothing if you just heard the sermons and not listened to what the Word of God means in your heart. But I want to move on. I want to talk about the mystery of the church, and I'm going to look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6. And I want you to see what Paul writes here. I'm not going to go fast. I want you to listen. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 1, he says, For this reason I, Paul the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard 
the dispensation of the grace of God. Do you know what is the dispensation of grace? Paul talks about this. And if you read the Bible and you read those words, my prayer is that he gives a hunger in your heart to try to find out what he's talking about. He says here the dispensation, there's a time, there's a time happening of the grace of God which was given to me for you. Paul is preaching here now. He's writing a letter to the church in Ephesus and it might as well be to the church in Karakaram down today. He's speaking. He says how that by the revelation, everybody say revelation. By the revelation he made known to me the mystery. I'm going to talk to you today about a mystery. He says, there was a mystery which was made known to me. It was revealed to me. Then he goes on to say, as I've briefly written already, by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Talking to you about the mystery. He goes on to say in verse 5, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men. This is why I say, I love the Word of God. I love the time we are living in. Do you? When I was a younger pastor, remember that one, okay? I'm not old. When I was a younger pastor, and in South Africa, we, we went through the church, and they were, I think we were eight pastors at that time, training to become pastors, and there was a young young pastor, the trainee pastor, he said, oh, I would have loved it to live in the times of Paul. Just to hear Paul preach, and I said to him, you're going to hear him preach, not preach in heaven, because there's no preaching in heaven, but you're going to hear him in heaven forever. But no, brother and sister, I am happy and content in the times we are living in now. Why? Because we see everything coming together. Paul was preaching about these things. And here it's interesting when he talks about the mystery. It says that the other ages was not made known to the sons of men. It was not made known to Moses, to David. It was not made known to Abraham. Although these people like Abram saw a new city. Abram saw a new city. Moses knew about these things. But it was not made known to these prophets, Elijah. They were prophesying about things that you and I are living in today. See why it's a privilege to be in the body of Christ in the church. Don't ever take it for granted. Ever. He says, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit. What Spirit is that? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit reveals stuff to us. And let it be known, I just want to get it out of the way. I'm not one of these people who believe in all of these wishy-washy things of now feathers is going to fall down and all of this stuff. No, no, no. It is written in the Word of God and the Holy Spirit comes because He's our teacher and He reveals stuff out of the Word. I've been reading and studying this Word now for 26 years. I'm not trying to impress you, but every single time I open up a passage which I've preached around, which I've studied, there's always something new. And there's always times when I come in and I say, wow, I found this fantastic passage here and I read it to you and I say, can you see it, can you see it? And you go, I can't see it yet. And I use that word yet specifically because you will see it. Just wait. How wonderful is the Word of God? 
It is there for little babes to learn from, and it's there to be reasoned by all of these clever minds, breath. How wonderful is the Word of God? And here he says it there. He says, revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and the prophets. That, that, why? That, the Gentiles, will all the Gentiles put up their hands? I'm one of those. I haven't got Jewish blood in me. I'm a Gentile. If I was living in Paul's day, like my friend said back in South Africa, they would have looked down upon me. Yes? That's what the Jews did. They looked down. You know, it happens like this. If a Jew walks down the street and the Gentile walks past them and just touches his shoulder, you know what they would do, Janelle? They go home. They, they take their clothes off. They bath and wash themselves because an unclean thing has touched them. Do you still want to live in those days? Here we are. He says that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of His promises in Christ through the gospel. So what is, what is the mystery? There is so many mysteries that Paul has got. One of those mysteries is the church. What we're sitting in today. That's a mystery. He says... It was revealed not to the Old Testament people. If you talk to the Old Testament people and say to them that one day in the future, the Gentiles and the Jews will sit in one body, they would say, you're off your mind. It's not going to happen at all. Can you see why I say how privileged you are and I am to be in the body of Christ? Now, I want you to see this in verse uh, 7. Of which... I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by effective working of His power. By the way, the, the preaching behind a pulpit is not a vocation. It's not something which you go when you grow up and say, I want to be an astronaut. I want to be a preacher. No, no God calls you into ministry. I just want to throw that out there. He says in verse 8, To me who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And you know what? You and I have got a privilege that we've got the unsearchable riches of Christ right here. I just told you. I've been studying this book so many times, brothers and sisters. I mean, there's people before me. I'm not saying I'm... But it is so fantastic. I'm sitting in my study and I go over Ephesians again and I've preached through Ephesians verse by verse I think six times already in the churches and you, I get a passage and all of a sudden it drops and I go, wow! And I go to that passage. Brothers and sisters, it's unsearchable. It will take you your whole life and you will still not know all. I hope, I hope somebody in this place sits there and says, I want to be that person. Search me, my heart, Lord, so that I can search you. And now he says here in verse 9, And to make all see, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery. There is the word of which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus. Now, you see, we're talking about a mystery. And here Paul comes and he says, this mystery, the church, the fellowship, he says it right there, the fellowship of the mystery, what has happened? It is from the beginning it has been hidden in God. 
It was hidden. They couldn't see it. Let me show you. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10, he says, To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to by the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. So he says, it was hidden. But now, the church, you and I, sitting in the bodies doing something, there's a function happening here. And what is that function? He says the function is that we made known by the church to the principalities and the powers in heavenly places. So the principalities and the powers, the angels, is looking into this mystery that is happening, the church. Did you know the angels look upon your life? They look upon this church and the church. You say, prove it to me. Well, let's see what Peter wrote about this. Peter wrote about the same thing. It's the gospel. He writes about salvation. He, he says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, To them it was revealed that not to themselves. Are you privileged? Are you grateful to sit in the body of Christ today? He says not to themselves, but to us. To us. What? They were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel. So the gospel and how you come into the body of Christ is this whole mystery. In the Old Testament, they didn't understand this. And he says it right there. To you by the Holy Spirit again sent from heaven things which angels desire to look into. Wow. See it up here. He says that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church. By the church. By us. To what? To the principalities and the powers in heavenly places. Who's that? It's the angels. So never walk into a church and go, it's just church. Guess who's looking at that attitude? The angels is looking at that. But it's not about attitudes here. It is looking about the functioning as you've been saved and baptized into the body of Christ. Let's look at Colossians chapter 1 verse 24. Because now Paul writes again this to the church in Colossae. And by the way, I believe in context. So you need to put everything in context. If you want to understand what Paul is saying, I'm just parachuting in in Ephesians 3, you need to read the whole book of Ephesians and understand why Paul wrote that book. And then the same here with Colossians. He says in 1.24, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and will fill up my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. For why? For the sake of His body, which is the church. So Paul says, I'm going to do all these things for the sake of the body, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from the ages. There he comes again. The mystery which has been hidden from the ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. Can all the saints put up their hands? Yes. We are saints. Not this little saint with the halo and you are lifted five inches from the ground and just float around. No, no. We are saints by the blood of Christ. What is he saying here? He's saying there was a mystery which has now been revealed. And he brings us to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 29, 29. I love this verse. 
because this talks all about it in the Old Testament. He says it right there, the secret things, in Latin it's the Dios abscanditos. In Latin it says Dios means the godly things, abscanditos means there's a veil, it's obscure, you can't see it now. It's not a new thing, it was always there. But God in the right time will allow you to see what, he, what, is, what is His mystery, what is His secret. It says the Dios obscanitos, the secret things belong to whom? To whom? It belongs to God. So let it be known that we cannot go and sit with the fortune teller and say, Oh, I want to know how my life's going to turn out to be. Because those things belong to God. Of your life, of the church, of the world. He gives us the privilege in prophecy to understand day to day how things is going to work out. And I say it specifically day to day. Because there's unfortunate people who want to live in the future and scare you right now. You don't have to be scared. Because God is still in control. And here we see this. He says the secret things, the deus of Scanitos belong to our God. But those things, what does the word but mean? That's a oh, sharp contrast, isn't it? Big theological word there. It is a sharp contrast. Those things which are revealed, the deus revelatos. Reveal means to lift the slayer so that you can see. And you go, I've always looked into the slayer and couldn't work it out, but now I see and I go, wow, this is the mystery of the church to them. Revealed belongs to whom? Come on church, it belongs to? To us. And to our children, that we may do all the words of what? Do all the words of the law. I love this verse. I always live by this verse. Every time the Lord reveals something new, I go, thank you Lord, Deuteronomy 29, 29. Now that belongs to me. And let me just say, it comes with a responsibility. If God reveals something to you, it's not yours. Shall I say that again? It's not there to benefit you. It's there to benefit who? Everybody. This is why you're in the body. This is why Paul comes and says, that which I received. What happened to him? It was revealed to him. That he gives to us. The things, the secret things. Now I've got a timeline here. I've just got three timelines and we will finish today. I don't want to, because I know the mums wants to do something or my wife with the children. I want you to look at this word here before I go there. The word mystery used here comes from the Greek word mysterion. The Greek word mysterion, it means, the root word there means to shut the mouth. Isn't it right? I love the Greeks, don't you? Shut the mouth. So in other words, you don't talk about that. So if I give you a secret and I grab you on the side and I give you the secret, I whisper it, you know, we used to do that at school, didn't we? You know, you play that game of secrets. But if I give you a secret and I say to you, this is only for your ears now, shut the mouth. That's the word mysterion there. And that's the word which is used here in Greek. But another ancient Greek use of the word mysterion was to withhold the truth by secrecy. And that is what Paul uses here when he writes this down. He says that this mystery here was to shut the mouth about the things that was in the past. God did not reveal it to them as he reveals it to us. And now it belongs to us. And we can preach about it and talk about it. Now let me talk to you about this. 
I find this fascinating if you look at this. We've got the Old Testament and we've got the New Testament. And what divides the two is the cross of Christ. That is the division. If you look at the books here, we find the first four books in the book of our Bible. It's under the New Testament. But it's transitional books. What am I saying? The last prophet in the Old Testament was Malachi. And then we find what people call the silent years. There was 400 silent years. Now let me also say, it wasn't that God took holiday. He just, you know, said, I'm going to go in, in the galaxy and, you know, go to a planet which you guys didn't even find yet, but I'm going to be there and I'm going to be on holiday for 400 years and, you know, I'll come back in 400 years and see what is going on in the world. But, you know, guys, I've worked so hard. I've generated the whole world. I created the whole world. We went through Israel. We came to the point, the prophets, the wars and everything. I'm tired. I'm going to take leave now. 400 years, I'm gone. It's not that. And it's not because he didn't work in those 400 years on the earth. He still did work on the earth. There was things happening. God still looked up. Do you know that it is God who holds everything together today? Do you know that? It's not the government. It's God who holds your life together. You get yourself into problems and troubles by the decisions you make without God. But God is there to help you all the way. So, for 400 years, it just means that there was no word from God. There was no prophet. And then, one day a man came out and he walked out of the wilderness and he looked like a prophet. His name is John the Baptist. And he started preaching, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He went down to a place called Betabara and he started baptizing people and they sent all of these people down there to go and see what's going on and he baptized people there. They came to him and they said, what shall we do, poor John? What shall we do? And he says, bear the fruit of repentance. If you've got two jackets, don't sell one but go and give one away. You know, don't steal anymore. Don't tell lies anymore. Fruit of repentance. All of this happened still in the Old Testament. So I want you to understand that the New Testament didn't happen yet with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are transitional books. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John still lived under the Old Testament. They still lived there. So these things happened, and then while he was baptizing on a day, he saw Jesus coming, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God! It's Him who will take away your sins. I'm only the one here to make the way for Him to come. So this is transitional books. Why do I say that? Because Jesus comes and something need, needed to happen. We see in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 16. I will give this to you if you want this. I know it's small uh, scriptures, but I had to fit everything on the board. I'll, I'll stand still. I'm getting excited now. <laughs> Here we see, that, um, we see that Hebrews 9 verse 16 says, For where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. Does that make sense? It says there, For a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. So we are talking about transitional books. In our Bible, it's correctly under the New Testament. Another word for testament is covenant. So it's under the old covenant, still the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So we're talking about a testator here. 
So the testator have to die for the testament to kick into action. So where do we find this now? Well, we go back to a day when Jesus was sitting at a table in the upper room the day before he died, and he said these words where we were sitting today. He said in 1 Corinthians 11, 25, but you find it in the, in, in the Gospels as well. He says, in the same manner he also took the cup after the supper, saying what? This cup is the new what? Covenant. He was talking about a new covenant living under the old covenant. So who was the testator? Jesus. He says, this is my blood. It's the new covenant. And this is in the transitional time between the Old Testament and the New Testament. He says, this do as you often drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat and drink the bread, drink this cup, what do you do? You proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Okay, so what happened? Jesus went to the cross and he died. And the Bible says he went down into Hades. He died. So what, who died? The testator died. So when the testator died, what kicks in? The new covenant. The new testament kicks in. So here is the new covenant. So the new testament, the new covenant, started the day when the, test, the testator died. When Jesus died, that day the new testament started. In the Old Testament, Jesus was still. He said, go and get the lamb so that we can sit around. Under the Old Testament, you still had to bring a lamb the Passover lamb, and you still have to eat it. Do, are we doing it today? Do we have to do it today? Why? It's fulfilled. It's under the New Testament now, isn't it? So this is important to understand that when we look at these books, I'm laying a foundation here. You'll see where I'm going. If you understand this, you will understand when Jesus spoke before His death, who did He speak to? To the church. No, he didn't speak to the church. You know, oh, wait a minute, preacher. Now you're getting a little far. The whole Bible is given to us. Yes, it is. Paul says it. He says it to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16. He says all Scripture, all Scripture is, is breathed by God and it's, it's good, and, uh, good for, for doctrine, for correction and everything for all of us. So it means that I still preach out of the Old Testament and it will still be God's Word for me. But we're talking about the mystery of the church here. So the New Testament started when? In the book of Matthew? No. In the book of John? No. I know these books were written after, but it was written about what happened before the cross. So the New Testament started when the testator died. And what happened? He was, he was risen from the grave. 500 saw him. The disciples saw him. I absolutely believe with all of my heart that he was risen from the dead. There is historical proof of that. He walked upon the earth and then he was taken up into heaven where the Bible says now he is our high priest. In fact, what happened is he took his blood. He took his blood as a high priest, as the son of man, and he went into the holy of all with his blood for our sins. This is why we say around the table, his blood is the So what happens now? We see the next step, and on the day of Pentecost, and, and I just put a dove there, it's not a dove, okay? I just put it there for ease sake. The Holy Spirit is not a dove. It came down like a dove. I just 
want to clear that out. But I put it down there. But on that particular day, it came down as tongues of fire and sat upon the people in Acts chapter 2. And the mystery, the church was born. What happened? Peter stood up. He started preaching what? What did he preach? The gospel. He preached the gospel. And you know what happened? When the tongues come upon them, they spoke in different languages. Let it be known, brothers and sisters, it was different languages that people who visited Jerusalem could understand. It is like you, you come with Malihalal to, to Jerusalem, and I can come out and speak in Malayalam fluently and preach the gospel to you. That's what happened that day. And the Bible said that they were saved and added what? To the church. So what happens here? The church was not in that transitional part of the Bible. The church came into the new covenant. And we find now that Paul starts preaching about this. Remember in Ephesians, he started saying, we are now living in the dispensation of grace, which is also called the church age. This is where we're sitting today. Interesting, isn't it? Does this make it clearer? Understand the transitional books. Now, listen. Listen to me. I'm not trying to tell you that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is not important books at all. All the Bible is important. When I got saved, you know, a very clever pastor said to me, the first book that you read is John. And you know what? I read the book of John. The first book I read in this Bible is the book of John, the gospel according to John. And man, that is so powerful. But we're talking about the mystery of the church. Now let's continue on. Then the last book in the Bible, the last book that was written, in fact, was Revelation 95. And I was given a revelation to John. Now who gave John the revelation? Jesus gave it to him. Where is Jesus at that point in time? In heaven. He's in heaven. Uh, John is on the Isle of Patmos. Why? Because of his testimony, his witness. And the Word of God. That's why it was there. The attack against the church is twofold. And, and listen to me very clearly. The attack that's going to come in future against the church is not the wrath of God, but the persecution from the world for two reasons. is for your testimony and the Word of God. The testimony and the Word of God. He attacks the Word of God. We go back to the book of Genesis. Remember, God came to Adam and He says to Adam, Thou shalt not eat of that tree. I, I'm trying to do the King James, okay? Thou shalt not. He said, You will not eat of that tree. And then what happens? He said it to Eve. Eve's in the Garden of Eden. The snake comes to Eve and He said, Did God say? If you look at chapter 1 and 2, He says, Lord God. Lord is the deity of God. He attacks God and His Word. So now we find in Revelation chapter 1 verse 11, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write it in a book and send it to the seven churches, which are in Asia to Ephesus. Jesus didn't talk to the church in the transitional books. I'm going to show this to you. Let's go on to the second timeline and I hurry up. So let's see what happens here. Jesus, one day was walking in the book of uh, uh, Matthew chapter 13, verse 11, he was uh, on his way back. Uh, in fact, he answered and said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. We find here Jesus, there's a crowd coming together and he starts talking to them in parables. The first parable is the parable of the sower. 
And just after the crowd sitting there, you can go and look in Matthew 13. I haven't got time. You go and do his homework, okay? The crowd is there, and he sits down to them. He says, a, a sower went out, and he sowed the seed, and where they fell. And then when the people leave, his disciples came to him, and they said to him, why are you talking to them in parables? And what did Jesus say? He said these words. He said to them, because it's been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. He was talking about the mystery of the kingdom of heaven. And he says to them that there's many big prophets and people who won't see what you guys see. Now let's continue on. On his way back from Philippi, Caesarea, where the Gentiles was, he was walked back and one day he asked Peter, he says, what does the people say who I am? And he says, well, they say you are. He says, but who do you say I am? He says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He says, Simon Barjona, it's the Holy Spirit who revealed this to you. But what does he say then, which is really interesting? In Matthew 16, 18, he says, and I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. It's the first time Jesus came out with the word church. He says, on this rock I will build my church. And by the way, this is not the Pope. It doesn't mean that Peter becomes the Pope, okay? Peter is a little pebble, and he says, on this rock, Petra, I will build my church, meaning on him the church is built. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone, not Peter. But he used Peter. But it's interesting here, isn't it, brother and sister? This is before the cross, and he's already talking about the church. But listen to this now. Who wrote that down? It was Matthew writing it down, and he uses an interesting word in Greek for church there. He uses the word ecclesia. Ecclesia. Now, if you put your back self back in their days, and they use as Greeks the word ecclesia, that didn't mean straightforward church. It just meant calling out to and they were familiar with that term in their synagogues and in their meetings. They were the calling ones out too. They called them ecclesia. The right word, if they wanted to use it, should have been kuriakos. Because that means it's belonging to the Lord. Now we know the church belonged to the Lord. Why don't we call it the church kuriakos? Why do we call it ecclesia? You see, it was still a mystery back in their day. When he said that to Peter, James, and John, and everybody was there present, they didn't have a clue what he was meaning. They would have walking there and go, okay, we understand. We're part of a synagogue. We called out to the synagogue, the ecclesia to the synagogue. That's what they had in mind. They didn't even, we translated the word English, in, uh, church in English into that. I don't want to confuse it. Just hang in there. I'm getting to a point. So what happens? They still, the church was still a mystery to these people. They can't see the path for the Gentiles still. They were still under the old covenant. And they still didn't understand the gospel. Why? Because the testator didn't die yet. He was still with them. So let me fast forward. On the day of Pentecost, the church was established. And now we see in Acts chapter 9 verse 2, for the first way, they were called the way. By the way, the first church's name was the way. <laughs> the way. That was the very first Christian church's name. And there is a church out in the world somewhere who called themselves the way, and they say everybody is wrong and they are right. You need to become part of the way. Well, guess what? I am part of the way. <laughs> I don't have to be called part of the way, but I am on that way. It's a small and a narrow way. <laughs> they, uh, in Acts chapter 10, we see Peter preached to Cornelius. He wouldn't have done it in the Old 
covenant. He wouldn't have done it down there. It didn't matter. What happened to him? He had to see the sheet coming down with unclean animals and go through that before he could even go. And there's people knocking at his door and say, come and preach to Cornelius. Before God dealt with his heart, he wouldn't have even go. But then God dealt with his heart and he go. He says, what, is, what I deem clean is clean. And he went and he preached to him in Acts chapter 11 verse 26. It's for the first time that they were called Christians in Antioch. And Paul called it the mystery and the dispensation of grace. And then we find the revelation way back here when the revelation was given to John from Jesus talking to the churches. And it uses the word ecclesia here that called out once. So what am I saying, brother and sister? If you look at this in Hebrews, we find a really interesting verse here. We find that, or before I get to that, what I wanted to say, that's, I haven't got my computer in front of me. I think I'm, I'm doing well just without that. But before I go to that last timeline, this is why. When you look at the Old Covenant, Jesus did talk about the church. He just didn't call it the church. And that's what I'm going to show you. He was talking about what's going to happen at the end of the time in those parables. The, the parables of the kingdom. What's going to happen? And you will find it fascinating once we get there and compare them. In the New Testament, he sends the letter straight to the churches. He says, now I'm talking to the church and there's a message. There's a local application, a prophetic application, and there's a personal application. I find it interesting. Now let's look at the last timeline. We all know this passage here. And uh, over the years, there are so many people who predicted the rapture, a date on the rapture, isn't it? So many people who said, the, you know, the church is going to be called, well, let's call it the coming of the Lord. The, you know, there's a certain day that's going to happen on this day. Well, those days came and they gone and it didn't happen. Now, I don't believe there's going to be a certain day that, that any per person can give you and say the Lord's going to come on this day. There's no person who will be able to do that. But what we do have is we can look at the signs of the times and know that the time is near. That we do have. And I'm going to prove it now to you. We can say that. You see, in Hebrews chapter 10, 24, the Hebrew writer writes to us. Now, I personally believe it's Paul. There's different people who believe it's different. I'm not going to make an issue of that. But the Hebrew writer says to us in 10, 24, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, for not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Where do we assemble together? In the church, isn't it? He says, as the manner of some, but exhorting one another, so much the more as you see the day approaching. What day is he talking about? He's talking about the coming of the Lord. There's two ways of seeing this day. If you go to Matthew 24, it was the time of trouble. As you see the time of trouble coming. So he's saying this. Now the question is, can we know the day? I just said to you, we can't put a date on it. But we can know the day. Because we go back now to Jesus, and this is what some people say. In Matthew 24, 36, he says, But of that day and hour no one knows. Is that, is that so? Jesus said that. Not even the angels. The angels don't know that day when, when he's coming. And then he says, But my Father only knows. But as of the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man be. That is true. We see that happening. What is the sign of Noah? Judgment was coming. 
He was building the ark, but they went on every day marrying and going on as if nothing's going to happen. The world's in that point right now. So we've seen two days here. You know, the Hebrew writers say, what's for the day? Jesus said, nobody knows of that day. So it's a little bit confusing. I wanted to say that he didn't know on that day. But what happened? We all saw that he went to the cross, he died, he was risen from the grave, and then he went up to be with the Father. And who knows about that day? The Father only. How long is Jesus with the Father now? A week? How long has he been there? 2,000 years nearly. Don't you think the Father would tell him what day it will be? Don't you think? I think the Father, I think Jesus would know by now. You see, under the old covenant, it wasn't the right time to, dis- to, to give all these things. But now, what happens now? He gives a revelation to John. Now, Jesus gives a revelation to John in Revelation chapter 3, verse 3b. He says, therefore, if you will not watch, if you will not watch, what will happen? I will come to you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come to you. They, so there will be people who's not going to know. They will not know, and they will still be there. No one knows. No one knows. Yes, certainly, but I know that there is somebody who knows. Who's that? Jesus knows. And who did he give a revelation to? He gave it to John. And who's got the revelation? We've got the revelation. Later on the revelation, he gives gives days. He says says it will be three and a half years for some of these troubles to come. There will be seven years before he comes and establishes his kingdom on the earth. Fascinating, isn't it? Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much this morning. And thank you, Lord, that in the end we got everything working and that you've worked for us. We prayed for it, Lord. And Father, it's so wonderful, Lord. We were all looking for maybe the computer to start working, but you gave my son an idea. (laughs) And we see everything happening, Lord, and we thank you, Lord, that even those small things and thoughts and ideas work.